Welcome to the Platform Podcast. On this show, we're trying to educate you about the American college system. We're going to be having college coaches and student athletes joining us, talking about the experiences in America, and hopefully by the end of the show, you would have taken away some amazing information. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Amrit Rai. I'm the founder and director of Platform Sports Management. I've been helping student athletes secure sports scholarships within the American college system over the last five years. I grew up in New Plymouth, which is located on the west coast of the North Island in New Zealand, and I attended New Plymouth Boys High School. I played a lot of tennis as a young man. My father is a professional tennis coach and my brother is one of the top players in the country currently. So I always wanted to do something with my sport after high school, but I didn't know how to go about it. At the time when I was in high school, and I'm 27 now, so it was a long time ago, no one really said to me, if you did this, this and this, you can get a scholarship in the States. So I remember in year 13, in my senior year in high school, I was in the hall. Victoria University, Auckland University, Waikato University and Canterbury University were all presenting and telling students what they had to offer. But there was no one talking about the US college pathway. And so just following the process, I ended up going to Victoria University. I got a Bachelor of Commerce in Business and I kind of parked my tennis career on the side. In 2014, I graduated college, and at that time, a few of my friends that had decided to pursue scholarships in the States were returning back. After having a coffee with them and listening about the amazing time in the States, I realized that it's actually very easy to achieve. These athletes that ended up going to the States that I played tennis with growing up, they told me that all they had to do was send some videos out, contact some coaches, and straight away they had nearly full scholarships where they could study there, train there, compete, they could um, eat three meals a day for free and develop as a tennis player. It sounded too good to be true. So I started Platform Sports Management to help student athletes and to make their college dream achievable. In the last five years, I've placed over 75 athletes into the college system. I don't just work with athletes in New Zealand. I have personally placed athletes from countries like Australia, Fiji, Samoa, right up through to Tahiti. We've had experience in working with athletes in Europe, such as Finland and the Czech Republic. Just last week, we placed two athletes from Lebanon into the college system. It has been amazing working with a great number of sports academies, high schools, and a number of athletes from around the world. This talk today is going to educate you about the college system. It is going to create clarity about the college system. In America, there are thousands of universities. Actually, there are close to 4,000 universities today in America. There are three main athletic organizations that govern college athletics in the college system. There is the NCAA, the big one that a lot of people know about. Then there's the NAIA, which is a separate athletic association. Then you've got the NJCAA, which is looking after all the two-year junior colleges in the States. I'm going to break down each and every athletic organization and go through the divisions to help educate you on this. The NCAA is the biggest athletic organization in America. They were founded in the early 1900s because 
When the universities would compete in sports, there were no rules regulating how many hours students had to spend in the classroom and how many hours they had to spend on the field. Uh, what was happening is that students would go and compete in their sports so much and the grades would start to drop. Uh, there was no organised competition, it was all just off the cuff. So a group got together in 1906 and said, we are going to be called the NCAA, we are going to control um, sport within the college system. And so today there are over 1,200 universities that fall under the NCAA. Now the NCAA has got three divisions. Division one is known to have the biggest universities. For a university to become a Division I NCAA member, they have to provide a number of things. For example, they have to provide seven men's sporting teams and seven women's sporting teams to be called Division One. So we've had athletes that have gone to colleges like Fresno State, University of Michigan, uh, University of Miami. And those universities, because they have seven men's sports and seven women's sports, they are big. Roughly they have between 15,000 to 60,000 student athletes on campus. We've got a soccer player right now called Hannah Blake that's playing at University of Michigan. At the, at the University of Michigan, their American football stadium seats 110,000 people. That is about three times the size of Sky Arena in Wellington. It is pretty big. Now, Division I colleges, a lot of people are attracted to the Division I college system because of the bigger universities, there's a lot more money there and there's amazing resources. I remember I walked into a Division I college one time and I went to go visit my athlete in New Jersey. When I walked into the athletic training facility, and this is a soccer player by the way, when I walked into the training facility, they had a gym only for the athletes there. They also had a physio room where athletes could just walk in at any time and get anything treated whenever they wanted. They also had a recovery room and I still remember this and it completely blew my mind. They had a swimming pool and at the bottom of the swimming pool it was a treadmill so athletes could do active recovery whilst they are um, in between games and in between training sessions as well. So because the resources at Division I level is very, very great, a lot of the better athletes are attracted to those colleges. Now, there's a separate division in the NCAA as well called Division II. To, for a university to become a Division II college member, the university must provide a certain number of things, just like Division I, and one of the main factors is they have to provide at least five men's sports and five women's sports. So right away, Division II colleges are slightly smaller. A Division II college has got between five to 15,000 students on campus. Now, there's some amazing Division II colleges, don't get me wrong. Even though everyone wants to go to Division I, some Division II colleges are absolutely unreal. They might, be they might be based in such an amazing location that attracts the better athletes. Division III colleges are slightly smaller. They have got less than 5,000 students on campus. Now, Division III colleges do not offer any scholarship money at all. Only Division I and Division II colleges offer scholarship money for student athletes for sport. But we do not write Division 3 off. There are some amazing academic institutions that compete within Division 3. For example, MIT, NYU, those colleges that focus in specific areas of study, they fall within that category. So it's still a really good option for those that have got good grades in high school and have got a really high SAT score.
The NAIA is a second athletic organisation that looks after a number of universities. They actually look after just over 350 colleges today. The NAIA was formed in the 1940s and the purpose of the NAIA was to provide sports scholarships and provide opportunities for athletes that are at smaller universities that are very similar size to NCAA Division III programs. So the NAIA is a good opportunity for those that want to go to smaller classroom sized universities but want to compete on a sports scholarship. There are also some eligibility requirements that athletes must meet which are easier to achieve in the NAIA compared to the NCAA. The third athletic organisation that I want to talk about today is the NJCAA. This is the junior college system. What a junior college is, it's a two-year community college for those that may not get into a four-year university but still want to pursue a sports scholarship in the States. So let's say, for example, that you didn't pass the SAT test and you've tried it so many times and you just can't get the score that you need. You can then go to junior college, do two years, get a diploma in a specific area of study. Once you get that diploma whilst being on a scholarship, you can then cross credit everything over to a four year university. But instead of repeating years one and two at that four year college, you only do years three and four. So your time frame is still four years as a student athlete, two years at junior college and two years at a four year program. Junior colleges don't cost that much at all. They are very, very cheap, very affordable. So let's say for example that you can't afford uh, to go to a four-year college and you're not earning a full scholarship. You may want to go to a junior college which is much cheaper, get on a scholarship, compete, be challenged athletically, get access to amazing resources and you don't have to do an SAT and then you cross credit and you finish your degree at a four-year program. The way scholarships work is the money comes from the NCAA or the NAIA. Let's talk about the NCAA right now because I don't want to confuse you. The NCAA each year distribute $1 to $1.5 billion in scholarship funding amongst those 1,200 universities that they look after. When a university gets their budget, let's use University of Michigan as an example since we touched on it earlier. So University of Michigan got about $160 million in funding from the NCAA. Once they get that budget, the athletic director of the college will cut that money in half because there's a rule called Title IX, which is equal scholarships. So half of that funding will go to the men's sporting teams and half of that funding will go to the women's sporting teams. Now the NCAA have got a manual. They've got a manual for Division I, they've got a manual for Division II and a manual for Division III. In those manuals are rules rules that allow college coaches to only give certain amount of scholarship money each year. So for example, if you are a men's division one soccer player, a college coach can allocate 9.9 .9 full scholarships. If you're a men's tennis player, they can only offer 4.5 scholarships. If you're a girls um, soccer player, they can offer 14 scholarships or just over 14 scholarships at the moment, um, etc. So there are all these different rules for different sports. So let's say, for example, the women's soccer coach gets their budget from the athletic director. They then go out and contact people like myself and they try to find the athlete. So they might call me and say, Amrit, I'm looking for a striker. Or a tennis coach might call me and say, Amrit, I'm looking for a big time player. Who have you got? Or a golf coach might call me and say, I'm looking for someone with a very low tournament average. So what my job is to do is to give these coaches 
athlete CV and tell them why they should give my athletes scholarships. Now, when a student athlete signs a scholarship with that university, the money belongs to the NCAA. So even though they go to university, they have to meet NCAA academic requirements as well. Now the reason why the NCAA sets out academic requirements is because there's no point them giving scholarship money to student athletes that are gonna fail university. Why would they do that? And so what they wanna gauge is how that student athlete is as an academic student. So there are a certain number of requirements that athletes must meet if you wanna go and compete on a sports scholarship in the NCAA. Now remember, getting into university and academic requirements with the NCAA are two different things. So the academic requirements for the NCAA is you gotta complete 16 core courses from your high school career. So in New Zealand, from grade nine to grade 13. Um, in Australia, from grade nine to grade 12, because their system is a bit different. Now, other requirements that you must do, if you want to compete in division one, you need a 2.3 out of four GPA. If you want to compete in division two in the NCAA, you need a 2.0 out of four. You've also got to do the SAT exam, which is out of 1600 marks, 800 in a mathematics section, 800 marks in a reading and writing section, so you've got to pass that test. And then there's a thing called a sliding scale where they have two columns. They've got the highest GPA that you can get working its way down and the highest SAT working in the opposite direction. So if you get a really high GPA, you don't need that high of an SAT on that scaling system. So you need to send all this information to the NCAA. Once they process all your documentation, then they'll say, yes, you're, you're allowed to compete then a coach can give you the scholarship and then you can start competing for that college. So that's how the eligibility requirements work. Now remember, whenever you look at on the website, whether it's the NCAA, our website, or the NAIA, it says the word student athlete, not athlete student. Student comes first. They want to gauge you as a student. So it's really important that you know that. Just like the NCAA, the NAIA, that separate athletic association that I've spoken to you about, have also got some eligibility requirements as well. They also give money to their group of colleges and the colleges then give it to the athlete. So when the athlete goes and competes at an NAIA school, on a scholarship, that money belongs to the NAIA and they have got eligibility requirements that students must meet. So you've got to graduate high school and you've got to complete two out of these three things. You can either pass the SAT and get 860 or higher out of the SAT and get a 2.0 out of 4 GPA. Or if you don't want to do the SAT, there is another test called the ACT, which you have to pass. If you pass that, then you will be eligible in the States as well. So again, you've got to graduate high school and then you've got to complete two out of three things, which is either get an 860 on the SAT, a 2.0 out of uh, 4, on the GPA, which is just passing high school and passing the ACT test as well. Now the ACT test is very uncommon for internationals. It's very common for athletes that are in the US. So the ones that you should focus on is definitely the SAT and also the GPA, making sure that's above a 2.0. Just like the NCAA and the NAIA, the junior college system have also set some requirements that student athletes must meet academically. Now you don't have to do the SAT or the ACT or have a GPA of 2.0 out of 4, but you must 
pass high school to get into junior college. That's very important. Now, in some countries, you've got to do this test called the TOEFL test. What a TOEFL test is, it's an English-speaking test for those that are from countries where English isn't your uh, first language. So countries, for example, um, like Argentina or Spain or India, you are required to do a TOEFL test. But if you're from countries like New Zealand or Australia um, or Canada, you don't have to do the TOEFL speaking test. So for junior college, if you pass high school, you are fine. You don't need to do those 16 core subjects. You don't need to do the SAT or the ACT. You just need to pass high school and graduate high school in order to be eligible in the junior college system. There are three different types of student athletes with three different goals in mind when they're looking at going to the States in a sports scholarship. First of all, you've got those athletes that are very good at their sport, those that have represented their country and their sport um, at World Cups, even at the Olympics. So their mentality of going to the States is, which environment can I get into which has the best coaches, the best facilities, the toughest competition that can make me a better athlete because one day I want to become a professional. So those athletes there choose to go to the States and use their sport to get a free education but more importantly to surround themselves in such an amazing athletic environment which can set them up becoming professional. We've got a number of soccer athletes right now that are currently in the US and they uh, at some amazing colleges such as University of Michigan, Loyola Marymount, University of Denver, and those colleges have got success and they've had case studies of athletes going professional after college. So those athletes there won't look at so much at the academics, but more importantly, of what other athletic resources at that university. So that's the first type of student athlete that we work with. The second type of student athlete are those that are good at their sport, they're very competitive, they compete at some of the highest levels in their region and in their country, but they want to use their sport as a vehicle to cover their um, academic cost. So they want to go and get a degree, but they also want to have a great social time. They want to travel the states, they want to compete at a decent level, but have a good time. They don't want everything to be about their sport and they don't really want to go professional. They want to go there compete at a decent level, come back to their home country, have a qualification and get straight into a job. Then you've got the third type of student athlete that plays their sport a lot but doesn't mind going to a Division III college because they want to go to the best academic institution. Now when you play sport all throughout your teenage years, you want to keep playing it forever where you're a golfer, uh, you're a swimmer, you're a track and field athlete, etc. And so the third type of student athlete won't be looking at where is the best coach, they'll be looking where is the best academic environment for me. So if you want to do business or marketing, which university provides the best internships opportunities as compared to the, the first athlete that I spoke about, which is which is the best tennis coach, which is the best soccer coach, which is the best golf coach, which has the strongest schedule. So try and figure out what kind of student athlete you are so you can find the best fit for you and really maximise those four years. The amount of resources in America are absolutely amazing, not just athletically, but academically as well. Athletically, it's great. As I said before, there's amazing gyms, trainers, coaches, you get the best gear, um, you get the best recovery, ice baths, you know, underwater treadmills, all of that's great. But 
the academic support is amazing. Now, I went to university and that was a beast on its own. Being a student athlete is another ball game. There's a lot of sacrifices. On Friday and Saturday, other normal students, they will go out. You, you, do, you do not have that luxury because you've got to study, you've got to catch up on assignments. Now, sometimes student athletes struggle academically because they're spending so much time away from college, traveling to different states to compete. Now, to cater for that, the athletic department have paid for academic tutors to be accessible at all times for student athletes. So if you are struggling in college academically, there's a support staff there for you to help you out and to make sure that you maintain a good GPA and you are on track to passing university. Let's say a coach is giving you a full scholarship. What does that cover? A full scholarship covers tuition, accommodation, three meals a day. Sometimes it covers books, depending on the university and what their policy is. Medical insurance is also sometimes covered. It's something that you should definitely ask the coach. But it also covers all your athletic expenses. So it covers your gear that you use to compete in, practice in, uh, practice facilities and training facilities such as the gyms, the recovery room, the physio, uh, the mental coach. And it also covers all the traveling costs. So if you have to take a flight and go to a different state, that's all paid for. So our athlete that's at University of Michigan, when she travels, sometimes they travel and they charter out a plane. That cost of chartering out a plane is all covered by the scholarship as well. So literally, if you're on a full scholarship, you're living there, eating there, you're training there and studying there for four years, and you're not paying anything. I'm paying off my student loan today, so it's not a bad deal going to the States. Let's say a college coach gives you $40,000 to go to college for the year and the university costs 60 grand, so you have to cover $20,000 as the balance for year one. Now, you can also get academic scholarships to help shave that cost down. Some, some of our athletes have earned over $25,000 in academic scholarships each year. Now the way you get an academic scholarship is by having a very high GPA and a very high SAT score. Every university is different. Some universities say, we'll only take a GPA to get you academic scholarships and you need a 3.75. Some universities say you need a 1410 out of 1600 to get um, an academic scholarship. Some universities say, Amrit, if they have 1200 on the SAT and 3.1 GPA, they can get a good academic scholarship as well. Coaches love good students. If they see a student athlete that has got good grades and they can save some of their money and they don't have to put their hands so far into their pocket to give out so much sport money, you become very, very recruitable. So make sure you keep those grades high because it can save you a lot of money and it can help your recruiting profile a lot. In America, there are two semesters. Semester one is called the fall semester. It starts in August and it goes through to December. Semester two is called the spring semester. It goes from January and it runs through to May. And May is when they have all those big final exams. Now, when a coach gives you a scholarship, it is based on a one-year deal. A lot of recruitment companies say scholarships are based for four-year deals. However, we've placed over 75 athletes. Every time our athlete signs a deal, a college coach might give you a breakdown on how the scholarship will look over four years, but it, they won't write it into the contract. The contract will be one year and it will be dated, for example, it's 2020 right now. They'll say it's dated from 2020 to 2021 and then they'll go over performance review. Now, when you compete in the States, you've got four years, whether you are in the 
NCAA, the NAIA, or the junior college system, you've got four years to compete on a scholarship. The key word there is compete. Now you've got an additional year, which makes it your fifth year, which is called a red shirt year. This is a year where you get to keep your scholarship, but you might not compete. The reason why you might use this year is if you get injured. If you are out for the whole season or for the whole fall semester or spring semester and you are recovering, as long as you're recovering within 12 months, the coach might say, you know what, you sit out, don't use any of your four years of eligibility, your competing years of eligibility. You go on a red shirt and then when you're better, then you start your four years. So this is great for parents to know that if their child gets sick or gets injured, you are protected by the NCAA. Now, other reasons why you might use a red shirt is for academic purposes. Let's say in year one, you compete and you're traveling all the time, you're training all the time, but your grades are dropping really low. Now, those academic requirements that I've spoken about already, such as a 2.3 GPA for Division One, a 2.0 GPA for Division Two, a 2.0 GPA for NAIA, you must meet those requirements throughout your college career. And so while you're studying there, if your GPA falls really low, at every university they have a compliance officer. A compliance officer is a representative of the NCAA or the NAIA or the junior college system that looks after all the student athletes. They're basically the police officer. And so the compliance officer will look at all the grades. If a student's grades are dropping and are starting to fail class, their scholarship is at risk. So what might happen is that the coach will sit down with you with the compliance um, officer as well and they'll say, listen, your grades are starting to drop. Why don't next year you just spend time in the classroom, you get your GPA up, but you, don't, you uh, don't lose any years of your competing eligibility. So year two, you might use your red shirt year and then you'll use your following years to compete, which is a great thing. So again, this is really good for parents to note that the NCAA always want to protect the student athlete and make sure that they are protected both um, with their health and also academically as well. As mentioned before, most contracts in the States are for one year. It's very rare to get a four-year deal in the States. Now, if you look on our website, you'll probably see a few athletes signing a bit of paper. This paper is called the National Letter of Intent. This contract is between the college coach, the athletic association, and yourself. If you sign this document, you are now part of that sporting team in the States and you are now bound by the NCAA or the NAIA or the junior college system, meaning you must follow their policies, which means you are now an amateur athlete. So if you decide to take a photo of a product because you're a good athlete in your area and a local shoe store wants to give you some free shoes and wants you to endorse them, you can't do that. If you do do that and the NCAA or the NAIA or junior college system find out, your contract or your national letter of intent will be terminated. Now the national letter of intent secures you a position in that sporting team. Along with that national letter of intent will be the financial aid agreement which will be dated one year to another year. It will very, it's very rarely four years, okay? And I wanna really make you guys aware of that. If you are talking to colleges, make sure you see when that contract starts and when that contract finishes. It's really important and so, when you sign that document, the National Letter of Intent, you have to be very certain that you want to go to that college. You want to, you want to make sure you've spoken to athletes at the college, you want to make sure you've spoken to the coach a number of different times, and you've got a really good gut feeling. Now, when you sign that deal with that university, 
When you're going through that process, you would have spoken to other colleges. If they contact you after you've signed that document and sent it to those schools, you're not allowed to talk to any other college coach. If you do talk to any other college coaches, you are in breach of your agreement. So when you sign that national letter of intent, it secures you in a program, yes, but there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. Make sure that you understand that and there will be set guidelines on that document that you can read as well. Can a coach cut your scholarship in the States? Yes, they can if you break school policy. And this is touching back to what I just said about making sure that you read that national letter of intent and you look through the policies that are put, put on that. Now, if you break any laws in America, if you start failing school, if you become a nuisance in the team environment and make it very unpleasant, a coach has a right to terminate that agreement, okay? So even though you've got a scholarship and you're heading to the States, you've packed your bags and you're ready for a good time, there comes a lot of responsibility. So make sure you are very aware that a coach can terminate agreements um, and they do have a lot of support from the athletic department. So if you feel like that this coach has been very unfair, there's a process that you can go through as for, for like an investigation to make sure that your contract's reinstated. But if you've been a nuisance in the team, if you haven't been turning up to class and you're failing and you've broken some laws, um, then you're gonna be in trouble and your contract can be terminated. If you are at university and you decide to quit the team for personal reasons, your contract will also um, be terminated as well if you're not part of that sporting team. A lot of students ask us, Amrit, can we transfer between the divisions? Can we transfer different colleges? Yes, you can. I'll give you guys actually a story. We have a young man called Dylan Wood. He went to Onslow College in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, and he went on a soccer scholarship. He went to a Division II college called Metro State University, which is located in Denver. He did extremely well as a soccer player. In his first two years, he was making headlines at the Division II college level. His coach was actually thinking about naming him captain um, in his third year, which is very young for captaincy. So when he came back to New Zealand, we caught up uh, with him for a coffee, which we like to do with all our athletes. And I asked him, I said, Dylan, you've done amazing at the Division II level for the last two years. Would you be keen to look at some other opportunities at a higher level? He said, I would love to. And he finished his last two years at UC Davis, which is a big Division I college in California. He also went to the NCAA Division I National Championship and got to have that experience as well. So you can transfer colleges. You can go from Division I to Division II Division 2 to Division 1. You can even go NAIA for a year and then go to the NCAA, but you have to meet those NCAA rules when you transfer. So there are, there is possibilities for student athletes to do that, but there are some rules that you must know if you want to transfer. In Division 1, Division 2 and Division 3 and the NAIA, they've got conferences. A conference is a group of 10 to 11 universities that compete against each other. When you transfer, you can't transfer within your own conference. That's the only rule. You've got to transfer out to another conference. There are some exemptions for transferring within your own conference, but it has to be signed off by a coach. It's very rare for that to happen. So if you are wanting to transfer out, just keep that in mind that you can't transfer to some of those colleges that are in the same conference as you that you compete with. Quite a common question that parents ask us is, Amrit, can our child get jobs on campus? I've had athletes that have had part-time work on campus. Usually they have like a Chipotle or a Panda Express or a Starbucks at most universities. And athletes are allowed to work on campus at those colleges part-time. 
It is very tough to do that. I recommend doing that in your off season where you've got a bit more time, you're not traveling so much. But if you want to get a full-time job um, outside the university, you can't do that. You need a different type of clearance in order to do that. So part-time work on campus, yes, it is an opportunity for student athletes and the coaches help line that up for student athletes. But if you want to work full-time off campus, you won't be able to do that uh, with the student visa and the type of clearance that you'll be getting. Make sure that you know what degree you want to do before you go to the States and make sure you understand whether you can get that qualification and use that qualification in your home country. For example, if you want to do law and you want to be a lawyer and you're from an international country and you go to the States, their constitution is much different to others and so you may not be able to practice law right away. And so make sure you do a little bit of digging into it. now. Most students change their degrees at university. If you don't know what you want to do, and when, honestly, when I was in my senior year in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I actually started off doing law and I finished with a business degree. So things change quite often. But make sure that the university that you choose has got a wide range of degrees that will allow you to move within those different academic departments. There are four things that you need to think about if you're choosing a college. Number one, you want to look at the location of that university. You want to make sure it is a nice place to live. You're going to be there for a while. You're not going to get this time back. You want things to do. You want it to be exciting. The next thing is the cost. How much is it going to cost you? Even if you're on a full scholarship, is medical insurance covered? Is textbooks covered? And how, how much is it going to cost me to get there because flights are not included in a full scholarship? The other thing you want to look at is the academic opportunities. Even though it's it's an amazing university, it might be in a great location, it might be Division 1. Is this university going to set me up academically for the next part of my life? That's something that you really want to sit down and try and digest and process as well. The fourth thing that you want to think about is the athletic resources of that university. Find out who that coach is, find out their background. Are they someone that just signed a bit of paper and became a manager and then a manager to a coach and have no experience? Is that something you want? Or do you want someone that's actually competed at a high level, coached and had success at a high level and now is going to be teaching you? That's something you've got to think about. When you're looking at the athletic resources, look at the sports team's rosters. See if they're all Americans or all if they're international student athletes and what you would prefer. Look at the training facilities that you get access to. Quite often, we have athletes where we have put a number of options on the table and some of our athletes actually choose Division 2 options over Division 1 because the location in Division 2 is in Florida right near the beach and, and the, the other Division 1 options are not and they prefer being close to a coastline. So those are different things. It's about what you want and trying to find the right fit for you. So that's my job every day is to network with college coaches and we try to find our athletes right fit. Every student athlete is different. They want to study different things, they want different things, whether they're an athlete that wants to go pro, an athlete that wants to use their um, sport as a vehicle to help finance their education, or whether they're a person that wants to go to the best academic institution and don't really care about their sport. Every athlete is different in what they want, whether they want to be in a city or a town, etc. So, Know what your fit is, and if you don't know what it is, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to help student athletes and help them through the whole college process. If you are interested in learning more about the college system and you actually want to know how we specifically help our athletes and what my team does, you can contact me through Instagram, Facebook, 
or through our website, which is www.platformsportsmanagement.com. We do free consultations for all our student athletes. What that means is that we meet you, we talk to you about your specific sport, we tell you how we can help you based on that specific sport and what our team is. And then if you're interested in coming on board, then we can send you an agreement and then we get working and the fun begins. So we hope you enjoyed this talk. I hope you got some information out of this. And if you've got any questions or queries, please contact us and we'll help you out.